So don't settle for very good. You got to reach for excellent all the time. And a lot of people think that very good is, is good enough. They settle for that. They don't understand why their business isn't thriving. And it's because it's that little extra effort that puts them in the excellent category that differentiates them from all the other competition. And just that little effort, that little push makes all the difference in the world. What would you do with an army of raving fans? How would that transform your business? Creating a five-star customer experience is the most important thing that you can do in your business. It will help you stand out, rise to the top, and save you thousands of dollars in marketing. I am obsessed with finding and creating five-star customer experiences. In fact, it's my superpower. On this journey together, you'll hear interviews with business owners at the top of their industries, sharing actionable strategies and tips to improve your customer experience and create your own army of raving fans. I'm your guide, Christine Huey. Welcome to the Five Star Experience Show. Hey guys, it's Christine Huey. Welcome back to another episode of the Five Star Experience Show. I have got an action-packed episode for you today. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview. So today I'm interviewing Dan Cockerell, who worked for Disney for 26 years. Over those 26 years, he held 19 different jobs. He started out as a parking attendant and ended his career there as the vice president for Disney's Magic Kingdom. There are so many takeaways from this episode. I'm telling you, if you have a business, you cannot miss this episode. The tips and tricks that Dan talks about to lead a team to excellence are things that you can implement into your business and it will lead you to the top of your industry. It is incredible. So let's dive right in. Hi, I've got Dan Cockerell with me today. I'm so excited to talk to him about his time at Disney and what he did to lead an extraordinary team to really create Disney magic 365 days a year at the biggest theme park in America, which is the Magic Kingdom. So hi, Dan. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, Christine. I am excited to be here and talk about what I love talking about, Disney and my book. Now, I have to say that when I think of five-star experience, Disney jumps out at me as being truly the best in the world. You guys make sure that you're bringing magic to each and every guest 365 days a year. It is unbelievable. That's right. And I just have to ask, what was it like to work for Disney? I had 19 different jobs. And I think like most people, I never imagined that I would have the jobs I had. You know, I never had a plan. I never was thinking about the long term. It was just kind of do the job you're in well and learn as much as you can and be open-minded to do new things. And as you build up your experience base and you get a little more mature and you, you learn how to deal with issues, hopefully if you're in a, the right company, you get bigger opportunities. My first executive role was running the Wilderness Lodge and the Fort Wilderness Campground. And that was a great place to learn about the business, about food and beverage and hotels and leadership. My first VP role was Epcot. And I did that for a couple of years and then Disney's Hollywood Studios. And you know, eventually I, I did get an offer to go to the Magic Kingdom. And at the time, I'm not sure what it is now, but at the time I was going to be the sixth vice president in the history of that park since 1971. So people tend to stay there a long time. I was a little nervous to tell you the truth. It's a big responsibility. And Disney is a huge team of just incredibly talented people. But when you get that kind of job, you know, there's a lot of people relying on you to uh, do the right things. And as I always used to remind the group at Magic Kingdom, I said, look, every operational Walt Disney World is important, but the Magic Kingdom is typically the first park or the only park guests are going to visit while they're at Walt Disney World. So if they're coming for one day, usually Magic Kingdom's where they go because it has the castle. And if they're coming for multiple days, the Magic Kingdom's usually the first park they go to. So we set the tone for the rest of their vacation. So there was, I think everyone that works there feels the responsibility of really delivering every single day because you're delivering, you know, almost 50 years of experience, the Disney name, the brand, and people save up for years to come to Disney. And on any given day, you know, it's another day at work for us. And for them, it may be the day they're going to remember the rest of their lives. So we, I, I never stopped reminding everyone of that. I never stopped reminding myself of how important it was just to deliver every day and be on and don't let anybody down. 
That's incredible. Remind me, how many visitors does Magic Kingdom see on a kind of daily basis and a yearly basis? Yeah. So Walt Disney World, par- all four parks welcome f- over 50 million guests a year. And the Magic Kingdom does over 20 million guests. Any given day, you would have between 30 to 60,000 people. On the holidays, you could get up to 70 or 80,000, which are you know big days for us. As you mentioned at the introduction, it's a 365-day operation. I'm not going to say it never closes because it has. It seldomly closes. It's a handful of days in history that the parks have closed at Walt Disney World. And typically, that's for hurricanes. Um, because we've really learned you can't move that many people out of the area quickly. It is a 365-day, 24-hour operation. I mean, once we close for the day, up to 500 people come into the park to work. They're cleaning, they're painting, they're in the attractions making repairs. Uh, The horticulture team comes in at three or four in the morning and waters the plants and replants the, the flowers and the trees and There's just a ton of activity going on at night there also. So it never ends. And the biggest problem we had, or one of the problems we had at Magic Kingdom was you just don't have enough hours in the day to be open for guests and then be able to take care of all the stuff you have to take care of at night. And that was a pretty challenging environment to get that all done in. I can only imagine. So I want to go back in time a little bit because when we spoke a week ago, you told a very compelling story. I loved the way that you told the story of Disney. Do you mind going through a little bit about what Walt Disney had in mind, what his dream was for Walt Disney World and Disney parks around the country? Sure. Walt Disney, very obviously very creative from when he was young and he got into drawing and animation. He wasn't the best artist, but he certainly was creative and he learned to hire people who had those skill sets. The original team that actually designed Disneyland were animators. They were movie people. The whole concept came from the fact that he would take his two daughters to the fair. And at the time, back in the 40s, you know, the fairs were not really clean places. They were kind of unsavory and the rides weren't that clean. And he just thought to himself while he was sitting on the bench watching his two daughters on the carousel, he said, there must be a better way. There must be a better environment we could create for families to spend time together. He came up with the idea of a theme park and theme parks didn't exist. You know, you go to carnivals and you go on these rides, but he said, there must be a better way. So he started thinking about it and he sketched out what he came up with as a theme park. And basically the way I translate it is he really thought about how do I create my animated movies and create three-dimensional spaces where people could be in those, be immersed in those stories. His idea was, you know, how do I let people come to my world and escape reality and be together and just not have to worry about any of the real world and create this fantasy world. Once again, with his creativity and then the animators who helped him think about designing the park And he really did design the park the way a a director would do a movie. And if I tell you the story, when you get to Magic Kingdom, for example, and you're out in the parking lot or you're at way, you know, maybe a mile or two away, the only thing you can see is the castle, right? In the park, you can't see anything else. So in the movies, we call that the long shot, right? It's like the Wizard of Oz. There's the, the the wizard is way over there and we have a, a, a journey to make. And then when you actually get closer to the Magic Kingdom, you don't see anything. You don't see the castle. You just see the train station and you walk through the train station into town square. It's designed in a way that you still don't see the castle. You see town square and you're looking at all the, the, the smells and the sounds and you're getting into that sort of the theme. And then as you walk towards main street, slowly the castle comes into view, like very dramatically, just like they would in a movie panning across, it comes into view and your day starts and then you go on your adventure and you know Walt Disney the spoke and hub concept was never really created before and it's a very smart way to do it you create the main hub and then people can pick their adventures and pick what lands they want to go to and then come back to the central hub and then decide the next move they're going to make he was very thoughtful about how he designed the parks and he was i think one of the first people also that i would I'd tell you had this guest centric approach he saw the experience from the guest point of view what they were going to see and smell and hear. And even today, I think a lot of companies miss that. They're not empathetic. They can't put themselves in their customer's shoes. So they don't realize either how easy the experience is or how hard it is. And if you're in business, any business, and especially in hospitality, trying to proactively look at your guest needs 
and give your guests what they need before they even ask for it. That's, that's the key to fantastic service. And he had a knack for doing that and really kind of figuring out what people would want and making this emotional connection with them. It's, it's incredible that, you know, what he came up with, gosh, what is it now? 40, 60, 80 years ago is still important. Make an emotional connection with your customers and they'll come back again and again and deliver quality and they'll pay for that. And Disney continues to do that, whether it's cruise lines or uh, the theme parks or the movie business, it's all about transporting people and immersing them in these other worlds where they can just escape reality for a few hours and spend time together. Dan, I couldn't agree more. I think that's what a lot of this podcast is about and going to be about in the future is creating these amazing five-star experiences. It's not what us as owners or us as leaders think of as a five-star experience. It's what do our guests think? How do I impress our guests so much that they are like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Or compared to, in this case, other theme parks, and maybe in my case, compared to other tours, what can we do to stand out and say, this is not even arguably, but definitely hands and above everybody else? And Christine, really quickly, I want to jump on that because when I do keynote speeches, I always start them with, okay, the Disney guys here, this is going to be fun and interesting, but it has nothing to do with me, my business. And so I really like to let people know this has nothing to do with uh, resources or the amount of money you have or Mickey Mouse or roller coasters. When you decide to create a great experience, it could be a newspaper stand. It could be a coffee shop. It can be a tour. The standards you put in place, and if you can execute those regularly and get the right people in place, anyone can create a memorable moment for people. And I think a lot of people think you need a lot of money and you need a lot of resources. And what we've learned at Disney over time, I wish it would only cost money. Then business would be really easy. If I have enough money, I can make anything happen. But the reality is you're influencing your employees to create these incredible moments for your customers. And that's where... Um, you really have to design these experiences and make sure people know it should be over the top. And when I say over the top, it's, you know, our goal, for example, if I was running your company, I'd say my goal is to make sure these guests have the best tour they've ever had. And they're going to talk about it in five years from now because we made it so special. Or I'm going to make sure my coffee shop is the place where everyone says you got to go there because it is just a great environment. People are friendly. It's got a great product. So you can create these experiences in your home or in your business and once again, um, tell people don't use resources as an excuse because that's an easy way out. And what people are looking for is experiences. Absolutely. And I know something that we found because when I started my company, we didn't have a lot of money invest. We just kind of bootstrapped the whole thing. So the way that we have created experiences with a little local flavor is really through our team. So we were really intentional about who we hired, training them, and also giving them latitude. So we were like, okay, as a tour guide, this is your framework. This is kind of where you need to where you need to be. But inside there, you can bring your own personality. You can bring your own stories. Obviously, there's history and other things that we always include that kind of have to be on our tour. But outside of that, they get to bring so much of their own personality. And I think that empowering your team so that they know this is where my box is, where I can operate, but also giving them some freedom so it's not just going through the same motions every single day is really key. And I remember you saying in the past that Disney did a really great job of that, where it is, this is your very clear role, but you also have a little bit of framework inside of there where you can express yourself as maybe a human or as your vision of what this little role would be and how could you create magic for each customer. Do you mind going into that a little bit? Yeah, I think you're hitting a great point. You know, a lot of companies get so focused on the technical training and they don't talk about why they exist as a company or the experience they're trying to create. So by the end of the training, you know how to use a cash register, you know how to do refunds, you know how to handle credit cards, you go through all the technical pieces, but everyone forgets to tell you, oh, by the way, the customers, when they come, you're supposed to smile and talk with them. And so I think you should, when you do training, you can actually turn it on its head and kind of do it the opposite way. And I think one of the best stories I remember at Disneyland Paris, um, I wasn't working in parking at the time, but I remember the, um, there was a team the main, called Main Street Operations. So Main Street Operations, you know, they run the horse-drawn carriages and they, they run all the things that happen on Main Street. And they had a three-day training on driving, you know, they had those little electric cars that people could ride up and down the street in. Well, the first two days of training were 
here's, here's how you can uh, talk to kids. Here's how you can speak to guests. Let's teach you the history of Main Street so you can share the details and make people feel special because they know something. Um, here's how you select a group of people who maybe are celebrating a wedding or a wedding anniversary or something. And they spent two days talking about how to interact with guests, how to create magical moments, how to create those moments. And on the third day, they said, oh, by the way, while you're doing all that, you're going to be driving this car. And let's talk about how to drive the car. So they didn't even talk about driving the car till day three. All they talked about was how to great, create these great memories for people. And then as a side note, they said, oh, and while you're doing that, you're going to be driving a car. And I think it's a great way to think about it. And we try to do that at Disney is you really want to interact with guests and be in character and be friendly and, and make, make personal comments to them and ask them about their day and give them advice. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing that, you may be selling them a hamburger or you may be loading them on an attraction or you may be selling the merchandise. So it's almost like you say it's purpose first. The purpose is to create great experiences for people. That's the purpose. Everyone has the same purpose. The vice president, the accounting team, the frontline employees have the same purpose. Now the role is all different. You sell hamburgers. I'm a vice president. You're a custodial cast member. You're in accounting and we all have different roles, but the purpose is all the same. And when you, when you can do that, it creates this really cool alignment that when you talk to a frontline employee, they kind of look at you and say, we, you and I have the same purpose. We're here to take care of our guests. You know, it's not about me as a cast member working for you, the vice president. We are all working for our guests. And there's that alignment that we all feel like we're, you know, fighting the same battle together. And there's a lot of camaraderie that comes with that. What I really love about that is it sounds like Disney really puts their values first and they say this, this guest experience is the most important thing. So we're going to talk about that first. This is going to be our number one priority. And then here's the little details of what you do, which I think is absolutely incredible. Now, in your book, which I haven't mentioned this yet, but Dan Cockrell has an amazing book for leaders. It's called How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? It is fabulous. In fact, I'm just going to praise you a little bit about your book. Go for uh, it. I picked this. <laughs> I'm sure that's every, what every author wants to hear is all the awesome things about. Hey, book, I'll right? take it. Yeah. Well, I have to say listeners, this book is incredible and I'm not just saying that. So what is really amazing about it is it's both story packed and efficiently written. So he says right in the beginning, you can pick up this book and this is how you can use it. You can jump to whatever section you want. Every section has stories that are really applicable to the topic. And then at the end, there's little takeaways. So if you just want to read the takeaways, it's these are the things you can do to kind of implement this. Now, going back to what we were talking about, guest experience, Disney has an entire strategy that they use to try to improve guest experiences. And I was hoping you could talk through that a little bit, Dan, because I just think it's amazing how you guys actually put uh, numbers and colors into what are we going to implement next and how is it really going to affect not just the customers, but the cast members, which are the team and the bottom line and everything else. Yeah, that's something I had uh, learned over time from some very bright people. We have a group at Disney called Industrial Engineering. Industrial engineers, typically, in the, traditionally, they help in manufacturing to come up with the most efficient way to produce products and look at how things flow. And, and they use a lot of logic. Industrial engineers were in, introduced at Disney in the 1980s. And we started to think, you know what, we can apply these same principles to running a theme park and hospitality. And so what they were able to do is we would have maybe a decision to make. Okay, we for next year, we, we're going to have, uh, we need to put something new in entertainment. Are we going to do a new fireworks show, a new parade, or a new stage show? So you're kind of comparing apples and oranges because those are all different kinds of formats of, of entertainment. And what they would come up is they helped us figure out how to come up with a decision-making tool that would help us compare those options against each other but not in a mathematical formula, which most engineers go for. Let's score it out. But you'd look at it. Okay, if we're going to make this decision, uh, we're going to do a, a new parade. Let's look at what the impact's going to be on our financial and operations. And then you kind of talk about that. And at the end, you come up with green, yellow, or red. It's going to be green. It's going to be great. Yellow, it's going to be difficult. And red, it's going to be really hard. Okay, let's look at the budget. How much money do we have and how expensive is it going to be? Red is we probably can't afford it. Yellow is really expensive and green is within budget. Now let's talk about what the guests are looking for. Is this going to be a great experience for them? Red is um, you know, we're duplicating something we've done before. Yellow is we're not sure. And green is this will be a brand new 
uh, way for them to think about things. So at the end of it, you don't have a number, but you can look at the dots and say, okay, which one has the most green ones? And even we would do things when we would weight each category. So which, which categories have the biggest green dots? And when you're done, it, it get, the decision gets easier to make. And so over time, every time you know, you're making decisions at home or at work, um, usually you have to weigh a lot of different things. And at Disney, we talk about the three-legged stool. What's this going to do? The cast experience, the guest experience, and the financial value. And if you can weigh those three, then if you can maximize all three of those, it's probably a pretty good decision. Yeah, I think that that is an absolutely brilliant way to take a look at every decision that you make in the business. Maybe not the small ones, but when you're looking at overall directional changes, what a great way to look at things. And I think that it's something that could help every single business owner because I think where a lot of business owners miss, where a lot of businesses just miss in general, is they look at how does it affect my bottom line? Is this something that's going to be easy for employees? And we look at it from a business standpoint. The guest experience part is not weighed as properly as it should if you want to build these five-star experiences. Yeah. And, and I'll make one more comment on that because I, I, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, actually, which is another thing that was a great learning for me. Every business has limited resources. And I don't care how big your business is, Disney's got limited resources. You know, are we going to build a, another cruise ship? Or are we going to build another theme park? Or are we going to invest in a ho- new hotel? You can't do everything. And so what we over time have realized is um, you don't have to do everything at a world-class level. And because guests will weight what they find important differently. And so an example, not only in the theme parks, we measure a lot of experiences. How is the arrival experience? How is your food and beverage experience, your merchandise experience, your attractions experience, the friendliness of the cast members? And we, we have this huge list that we ask people to rate. And um, what we've come up with is what we call key drivers. And the key drivers basically say, What's the number one most important weighted part of the Disney theme park experience that's going to matter most to a guest on their overall experience? Because if your overall experience goes up, your intent to return goes up, your intent to recommend goes up, everything is good. So you can't treat everything like it's this, the same importance because things are not the same importance. So we concluded in the parks, for example, well, I'll ask you, we'll do a little quiz here. What do you think is the most important thing? When you visit a Disney theme park, if there's one thing you had to get right to make sure that you had the best experience you had, you could have, what would that be? That's a good question. Yeah. Let me think for a second. I'll be honest. I've only been to Disney once and I was 10 years old. But if I were going to go back as an adult. Or a kid. Yeah. Or as a kid, I, I think either one, adult or kid, what I hear from people that go back as adults with their kids is they love being wowed. It seems like the kids are wowed and the adults are wowed. It's just like something that is beyond what they could have imagined. So I would say that overall, just being like, holy cow, this was really something that, that that would be probably what I would value highest. Yeah. So that's up in the top five, this idea of unexpected wows. And those are those moments we create. The, The one we've calculated is people said, I want to do as many attractions as I can. I want to go on as many rides as I can. And the more rides I go on, the higher I'm going to rate my overall experience. Um, and that sort of uh, um, kind of flattens out. For Magic Kingdom, it's 8.5, for example. Uh, that's where you get your most value. If I can do eight and a half attractions in a day, every attraction I do after that, I'm going to have a better experience, but it's going to only be incrementally better. So we have to make sure our number one priority is building new great attractions that have lots of capacity so people can do more. Entertainment comes second, a cast service and friendliness comes third, and it goes down from there. And it goes all the way down to like 50 things. So the project I was on, we had uh, someone teed up and said, you know what? I have a vision and I would love to make our fast food restaurants like just as good as our table service restaurants and have gourmet food. And we all were like, that's a cool concept. I wonder why they haven't done that before. Let's go for it. So we started having meetings on it and talking about what it would take and what the the cost of sales would be on doing, upgrading all our quick service locations instead of just, you know, doing cheeseburgers and chicken tenders and tacos. And finally, one of the research people kind of got wind we were working on it and she came and saw me and I knew her really well. And she said, hey, can I come to your meeting next week and present some data for you guys? And I said, sure. Just what's the gist of the data? 
She said, well, the, just the data is going to tell you, stop working on this. And I was like, whoa, you have my attention. <laughs> so the next week she presented the information and she said, look, I love the guy, the, the fact you guys are so excited about improving the food and beverage experience. But even if you get the food and beverage experience to be a hundred percent excellent, you're only going to move the overall experience of the park, like less than 1%. So it's a great thing to work on, but it doesn't matter because what people want is good food, cheap and fast. And you know, when I say cheap, that's a relative term at Disney because you pay a lot for everything, <laughs> but that's not, that's not a key driver. And if we can, what we should be talking about is great entertainment and how to train the cast members to create these magical moments and think about new attractions we're going to build and focus on those things. And uh, food and beverage, quick service comes way at the bottom. So just do it well, make sure the food is hot food, hot, cold food, cold. And as long as you do that, you're going to get, even if you have a low rating, don't worry about it because the guest is saying, I'm rating it low, but it's not really that important to me. So, you know, where you spend your time and what you focus on in your business is really important because you could spend a lot of money on a tour, you know, making sure you painted all the vehicles so they're perfectly painted. And the guests may say, yeah, we want them to be nice, but we really don't care about the paint job. We want it, We care about the experience and what we learn and how convenient it is and the price. I think as a business owner, just make sure you don't get fooled by working on something that is a pet project that you you like working on. But if the guest doesn't care about it, then stop doing it. You got to work on the important stuff. That is amazing advice. I think it's important for every business owner to know what moves the needle in your business. How do you get customers and what do they really want to get out of the experience. And if you really double down on those things that move the needle and make sure that those things are the best that they can be, that's how you really wow the customers and they say, this was a five-star experience. Yep. All right. Now that we've talked about how to really create an amazing experience by elevating the things that the customers are really focused on, I want to talk about the converse. And that is, how do you take away the biggest pain points? In your book, you tell a story about Disney's Magical Express and what it took to really implement this luggage system. I'll have you go a little bit more into detail with it. Yeah. So I was, uh, at the time, I was a general manager at the All-Star Resort. And the All-Star is one of our uh, value resorts. Uh, we use it to put up maybe uh, first guests to Disney World or athletes who are competing at the sports complex, cheerleading competitions. It's a, almost a 6,000-room hotel, campus-style hotel. So it's a big place. I learned a ton in that job. And so they came to um, the general manager's probably six months before we rolled this new program out. And they said, Hey guys, we've been doing some research and we have an idea and we're going to roll this out. And at the time they said they were going to roll it out in the premium hotels and the moderate hotels, and not the value resorts. So I was interested in it, but I didn't have to worry about putting it in place. And uh, basically the idea was, they said, we've come up with a partnership with Orlando International Airport. And so what we're going to do moving forward for guests who are flying into Orlando and want to opt into this service, we're going to mail them luggage tags at home. And whether, if they're in the domestic United States, they'll put their, their luggage tags on wherever they're coming from, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, wherever. And when those bags arrive at Orlando International Airport, the team that sorts the bags are going to pull all the pieces of luggage that have a Disney tag on them. And they're going to go to a separate sorting facility. And all the other bags are going to come into the carousels and normal pickup. So when the guests get to the airport, all they're going to do is follow signs down to complimentary uh, shuttle buses that are going to take them to their hotels. And we're going to have greeters there and we're going to sort people by the various hotels they're going to. They're going to get on the bus and we're going to have a nice video and talk about their Disney vacation. And we're going to take them all the way down to um, Disney. We're going to drop them off at their hotels. And then when they get to their um, rooms, their luggage will be waiting for them in their room because we will have taken the luggage from the airport, putting it, put it in vans and ship them to all the individual hotels because that the luggage tags have uh, codes on them, skewed numbers, and we'll scan them and we'll get to the hotel and we'll deliver them to the rooms. And we all looked around. We said, man, this sounds complicated. And we said, how much does the, the shuttle bus cost? And they said, well, it's free. And we said, it's free. And I said, well, how much does it cost to use the service? They said, the service is free. And so we didn't, we didn't really understand the strategy. We're like, this doesn't sound, this sounds like we're going to spend a whole bunch more money. And I don't, we don't see the value here, except it's really cool that guests don't have to deal with their luggage. And they said, well, there's a couple things to this. 
first of all, it's going to be a dif- differentiator in the industry. No one else is doing this right now. And you know, eventually, the, probably the industry will catch up. But the other thing is, guess what the guests don't do if they don't have a rental car? They don't leave Disney or they pay a $70 taxi ride to go down to you know Universal or SeaWorld or off property. So we've done a calculation that people will be much more likely to stay on property if they use Disney's Magical Express than if they got a rental car. And that was the big win. And so we put the service in place and about three months before the rollout, the upper management decided that the value resorts would be included in this. And so we went from not being in part of this program. Three months later, I kind of calculated, I did some research. We are now the largest regional airport in the United States in terms of luggage uh, volume. The only thing was different is we didn't have any airplanes, but we certainly had luggage. And we had a lot of bags coming the all-star every day. And it took a, a miracle and an industrial engineering team to help us figure out how to handle all this luggage and put, get it to people's rooms in a 6,000-room hotel every day. Yeah, I actually want to highlight that a little bit more. I'm going to read directly from your book because I think it really shows the scale of the implementation of even just something like this. The all-star moved roughly 17,000 bags or suitcases per day, effectively putting us in comparable numbers with the biggest regional airports in the U.S. Still, at 99.9% accuracy, we would be missing 17 bags at the end of each day. The reason why I want to highlight this is it's amazing to take away this pain point. And you perfectly highlighted how taking away the pain point and doing it strategically will actually mean that your customers are going to spend more money on your property, which pays for this service that you're offering them for free, which I put in quotation marks. But also when you're rolling something out on the scale of Disney, you need to be nearly perfect. Because I think about at a hotel, if you have 17 people a day down at your front desk, missing their luggage, like that is a huge pain point. Even though it's 17 out of 17,000 pieces, you want to eliminate that as much as possible. Tell me about how the rollout went. How did it go? Was it successful? It's one of those things where you you know that the plan is sound, but until it starts happening, you don't know exactly how it's going to run. And we had to figure out, do we use big box trucks? Do we use golf carts? How do you run? How do you, where do you drop all this luggage off and sort it? first of all, and have room to sort it. And then how many people do you need to load it on the carts and drive it to people's rooms and deliver it to the room and making sure that you're, you're cross-checking the room they were assigned to, to the luggage and making sure it's in the right place. So there was a lot of checks. Luckily, technology was getting better at the time. We had devices, you know, we didn't, the, the iPhone didn't exist yet. But we did have these scanners that we were able to use with Wi-Fi. So you could scan a bag, find out the guest room number, and it would tell you what room they were assigned to. But yeah, it was pretty rough. The first six months was uh, was hard. And we used a lot of labor. We had a lot of managers out there every day. I was out there working out there probably two, three times a week helping, but also observing and just seeing, okay, we got to, this cannot be a heroic endeavor every day. We have to make this part of our normal operation. So how do we do that? And over time we learned at, at the end of every day, we had a debrief. We talked to the frontline employees. We'd talk to managers. Okay. How did it go today? What did we learn today? The industrial engineers were there. The technology team was out there with us. We said, Hey, we're missing Wi-Fi in these areas. I think when you have these rollouts, you have to be very critical. You have to have all the partners involved and you have to debrief and debrief and debrief and talk to everyone about how do we make this better? Because if you don't do that, you're just going to sort of limp along for months on end. And there's no reason to do that. You can make immediate improvements once you start. It got to a point where it became a routine thing and we were really good at finding bags. The airport got better. So, you know, because sometimes a bag is sitting at the Grand Floridian and we're at the All-Star and we have no idea where it is. And the guest has, they don't care where it is. All they know is they don't have it. And so now we were dealing, when the airline lost a bag, now it was us to figure it out because we were the person who's supposed to have the suitcase. So now we're working with the airlines because, you know, your bag's not the Grand Floridian. It's in, uh, I don't know, in Jamaica. <laughs> you know, now, now we got to figure <laughs> out how to get that for you. And in the meantime, we came up with all kinds of um, backup plans. And I think that's another key to great businesses. You assume you're going to do it at 100% excellent. But when you know you're going to fall short um, every once in a while, then you have an immediate recovery plan. So in our back office, we had clothes, we had jeans, we had shirts, we had toothbrushes. We had, I mean, we had like a little supermarket in, at the hotel 
So when a guest immediately didn't have their bag, we're like, well, come on back. Let's get you some clothes to get you through the day. And then we're going to see if your bag arrives tomorrow. And if it doesn't, we're going to give you a ride over to Walmart or wherever, and we'll get you some clothes for your vacation. And once again, it's uh it's a very small percentage of people that happens to, but it's a big deal. Cause once again, these guests have been saving for a long time to have this Disney experience and your bag not showing up should not be part of that experience. So it was a big undertaking for sure. I can tell you if I could have my bags automatically show up at my hotel or my Airbnb every time I travel, that would be an amazing thing. Yeah. I love all the creativity that goes into Disney. I would like to talk a little bit more about how you train your cast member. Do you mind sharing some information on how you really keep the excitement going? Because as with any job, cast members, these are the team members that work at Disney. For them, it it probably feels very similar every single day, just like anybody else. It's like, okay, we've got this. This is what I do. This is my job. It's the same every day. How do you train them to keep the excitement and keep the magic going for the guests that are just experiencing this for the first time ever in their life? And quite possibly the only time. Yeah, that's a big deal. Because to your point, most jobs in the world are pretty repetitive. I mean, you're doing the same kind of things every day. You have exceptions to that, but it's the same uh, procedures. And I think there's a few things there. The number one way we found to deliver great service regularly at a high energy level is hire the right people. It had nothing to do with leadership. It came down to let's find people who are self-motivated who just are on. When they come in every day, they're professional and they're ready to deliver because they're just wired in a way that they're going to always be great at what they do. I wish the world was full of those people, but they're the exception. You know, Maybe the 80-20 rule, we'll say. 20% of your people are creating 80% of those experiences. So then it does fall back on leadership to find a, a middle ground. And you said it early, earlier, Christine, in the, in the podcast, you create a framework for people. You say, you know what? We're going to give you uh, we're going to tell you about 80% about where you should be working. And the other 20%, we're going to leave it up to you of how you want to be and how do you create these these great moments for people and give them the latitude to kind of create magical moments and empower them to go to do things differently. A common uh, example we use is custodial. You know, you go tell someone in custodial, your job is to sweep the ground and empty the trash cans, but that's only your job. We want you to make these magical experiences. You know, most companies would say, well, they're not included because their job is, you know, just not magical. So we're not going to include them. Well, if you include them and you say, look, you're, you all are, that's part of your job. It's incredible what they come up with. When I was at Epcot, we had overlap in shifts. So when the morning and the, the afternoon shifts are in there, you usually have about 30 minutes where both groups are in. And that's a time when you can go do something different. And so I know one team set up near test track, the custodial team asked if they could buy some remote control cars and they set up a little track with cones and kids would come out and do a race. The, whoever won got a prize. Uh, they had custodial bowling. You know, they'd set up pins and a, get a ball, a rubber ball, and you'd go bowling out there. Some of the custodial cast figured out how to make water art. They'd get their pan and fill it up with water and get their broom. And that was a paintbrush. And they learned how to draw Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck on the ground in water. And in Florida, that lasts like three or four minutes because it evaporates. But, you know, a few guests are going to get to have that moment. Only at Disney are you going to see a custodial cast member being an artist. And not everyone had to do it. Not everyone wanted to do it. But the ones who wanted to learn, we trained them to do that. And it was their idea. So there's this idea. If you can just open up the possibilities for your employees and tell them and do, do brainstorming sessions with them and come up with fun things to do that breaks the monotony of the day, they'll be all over that. And you just have to facilitate those conversations. Quick service, a fun thing we did was um, we would have, uh, you know, we have these, all these brown trays and we would have a red tray and about every 20 or 30 trays, they were randomly put in the stack. A red tray would pop up. When a red tray popped up, that meant it was the magical tray and whoever got that tray got a big dessert and everyone would sing and make a big deal out of it for no reason. It wasn't their birthday. Just, they just got the red tray. And everyone was excited. Well, when's the next red tray popping up? You know, so you can create these things in your operation to do that. You just have to get outside of your own thinking. It's hard to think differently when you run your business and you're so focused on the efficiency and the processes. It's hard to think about doing something that's not efficient and, and doesn't fit in that business. But that's where it can become a lot of fun. Every day when we open the park, we have a family that opens the park. We pick them randomly. 
Uh, it doesn't cost us a dime, but they get to be the ones out there that put their hands up. When they put their hands down, we announce the parks open and we take a picture of them. And they can now say they opened the Magic Kingdom. They were the family of the day. And when we opened uh, attractions in the morning, we would have a little ribbon cutting. And every day you had a ribbon cutting. Most, most places you only cut a ribbon when you open for the first time. At Disney, we'll cut the ribbon every day because that's another day, another moment to create a magical moment for people. So just get creative or find some people, assign your, your employees, give them half a day and go, hey, I want you to come up with 10 crazy ideas of fun things we could do in our business to differentiate ourselves. And I'm going to give you all half a day and I'll see you tonight. Come report back and I'll buy you dinner. Go and just see what they come up with. And, you know, they may come up with nothing, which is unlikely. And they may come up with things that you say, yep, oh, that's we can't do that. It's too expensive, but you're usually going to keep brainstorming until you land on something that's different. And now you're creating these really cool experiences for your employees too. I absolutely love that. What I think is so cool is what you're doing by highlighting specific people at a random basis. The people that open up the park, the people that get to cut the ribbon, the red trays is those people that get to experience that they are raving fans for life. And that's what every business wants, right? We want these raving fans that are going to continue to come back. But what else is cool is for everybody that gets to witness it, even though it might not be the same level of raving fan as like being the one that was picked for everybody else that gets to witness it. I mean, it makes them smile. They get to kind of witness this cool experience of this family getting completely highlighted and gets getting to do this cool thing. It's funny you mentioned that because we actually did research and we found out there's a huge value to what we call secondary magical moments. So you can be the one having the magical moment, but if you are watching that happen, then you're getting a percentage. You're, you're, you are also being affected and it's almost like it happened to you because you can tell that story. And we did lots of studies with character greetings and what we, we concluded was let's get more characters outside where more people can see them. I may not want to get in the 45 minute line to meet Goofy, but if I can see Goofy from a distance and take snap a picture when I go home, I can say we saw Goofy. You know, I checked that box. And so it's, there's, there's definitely some psychology involved here also in addition to the operational component. Yep, absolutely. We find that on our food tours as well. We do special things for anybody that's celebrating a birthday or an anniversary. Because we live in Nashville, our tours include live music. So all of the artists that we see on a regular basis, they of course all know us because we're there so regularly. Without letting anybody know, we'll write on a napkin like, hey, it's Dan's birthday today. Can you do something special? And we'll just slip it to them on a napkin on the stage. And all of a sudden in the middle of the meal, it's like, hey, food tour, I hear it's Dan's birthday. And they'll do a funny song or you know, just a little shout out and everybody at the table goes, Oh, wow. Well, that was cool. It's amazing how impressed the whole group is not just, you know, like you, Dan, the birthday guy. Yeah. Dan's thinking, wow, they're recognizing me and the group's thinking, wow, they're recognizing our group. So everyone gets something out of it. Oh, well, I absolutely love this conversation. Now I want to pull a couple more things out of your book. I want to talk about the Danstagram because when you have all of these employees, I think you mentioned that you had 12,000 employees at the Magic Kingdom. How do you highlight the ones that are doing really well? And one of the concepts that your team came up with was the Danstagram. So I'd love to hear your take on that, your skepticism, and then you know how it ended up being a really cool thing. Yeah. Well, you know, every job I'd had before Magic Kingdom... Now, even Epcot, I was able to walk around the park and it was, you know, half the employees there, 6,000 instead of 12,000. But when I got to Magic Kingdom, I realized I had to think differently about my personal connection with people because I just couldn't meet everybody. The park hours were so long and there's so many people. So I had to really figure out a kind of a marketing campaign so people could know me and know what I was about and know what my beliefs were and how much I supported the team. So I did, I had various tools I did. One was uh, every Friday I would do a, I record, I, I called it a podcast at the time. It was like a five minute message I'd record on my iPhone and email it to my communication manager and she'd push it out to all the managers to play so people could hear my voice. Hey guys, we had a great week. Halloween's coming up next week. Here's how we did. Here's what we're looking for. And a shout out to these two managers in this area who did whatever. And so it was, they could hear from me regularly. And my communication manager, when I got to Magic Kingdom, she said, okay, well, I have some ideas for you. And I said, what's that? She said, well, have you ever heard of Instagram? I'm like, look, I know I'm older than you, but I'm not like <laughs> decrepit. Like, yes, I've heard of Instagram. And she said, well, what you should do is um, go in the park and go ahead and, and uh, when you have a moment with a cast member, take a selfie with them 
and then find out what their story is. Why are you having this conversation? Do they work at Cosmic Rays that is the biggest restaurant in the world? Or they work at Pirates of the Caribbean or you know, a little bit about them. And then just send me the picture and send me the story and we will feature them and we'll make posters. We'll put things on video screens. We'll have all kinds of ways to highlight that. And I said, well, it seems kind of self-serving that I'm going to do a selfie with me in all these pictures. And she said, no, no, Dan, she said, you're the vice president here. Well, that's a big deal. People love to have a picture with you and be able to have sort of the bragging rights. They got to meet the vice president. And then you can write some nice things about them. Like this is John He's the fastest cashier at Cosmic Rays. His record is 80 transactions an hour. He sells more cheeseburgers than anyone in the world. And now you know who John is. And so I would do that. Or this is Mary. And yesterday, Mary created this incredible moment for these guests. And I want to tell you how that worked. And I tell the story. So now Mary gets recognized from all her peers because I took a picture with her. Um, people are seeing that I'm really interested in who the cast members are. So they're getting to see that secondary experience. Well, that's cool. I love the vice president values the frontline cast and I'm training everybody. Cause when I tell the story about what Mary did, everyone's getting to see that story and saying, wow, I could do that. You know, I can do that too. And if I do that, maybe I'll be recognized. Um, and you're reinforcing the behavior. So it was like a, I call it a triple threat, right? You're getting to know me, you're getting to know the cast members and people are learning how to give world-class service all at the same time. And we did tons of those. And I did, uh, I was like a selfie machine. I mean, I could, I could do them with <laughs> groups. My, my favorite one I have is, uh, I was at the rehearsal before the Christmas season started and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, they'd done the the stage show rehearsal. And at the end of it, everyone got on stage. You've like the techs, all the entertainers. There's probably 150 people on stage, all the characters. And then I'm down below and I took a selfie with me and them in the background. And it was like, it was the best selfie ever. But anyway, it's a way to, you know, I think there's lots of creative ways you can do to let your people know how much you value them. And uh, those photo moments are, are a pretty neat way to do it. I love what you say about the triple threat, how it doesn't just serve one purpose. It serves many purposes. All right, Dan, I want to highlight one additional story from your book, which is the day that you spent with Blanca doing housekeeping at one of the hotels. I just want to hear a little bit more about it from your standpoint. And what I think is really great is you were out there with your frontline members kind of working and seeing what it is that they do every day. Do you mind telling me a little bit about that experience? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the things we do at Disney, and it's very common, is when a new leader comes into an area, um, they actually do what we call in-costume training. So they get trained on all the different areas. In fact, in attractions in the parks, the managers are required to be trained and checked out how to operate the attractions because it's really important they understand all the inner workings safety and how they work and that kind of thing. So the managers really know their stuff. So when I went to the all-star as a general manager, I wasn't required to do in-costume training, but it was definitely a strong tradition at Disney. So I spent time in all the different areas, the food court. I learned how to check guests in at the front desk. I spent time with engineering. I wanted to know how the hotel ran. I spent time with recreation and saw how they cleaned the pools and did all the chemicals. So I I spent um, two weeks with housekeeping. And that was probably one of the most uh, humbling experiences. You know, each housekeeper at the All-Star cleans 18 rooms a day. And Blanca was my trainer. And so I'd put my costume on and go in every morning and I'd be with all the, you know, we'd like 500 housekeepers every morning come in to clean the rooms. And we're all there talking with each other. And, you know, people are like, Blanca, who's this, uh, who's your trainee? She's like, oh, some college kid, you know, and they're laughing. He looks kind of old. And they found out later I was a general manager for the hotel. But Blanca and I spent a lot of time together. And she just, you know, I I went and saw how they cleaned the rooms, what her approach was. And I never was able to clean 18 rooms by myself. I'd get to like 14 at the end of the day. And I was like way behind. I didn't have lunch. And (laughs) so they'd come in and help me finish the last four. It's funny one day I said, all right, Blanca, this is sort of towards the end of the training. I said, this is a great room. Come check out this room and inspect it. I want you to inspect my room. Because the irony is usually I'd be the one inspecting rooms and she was, but I said, inspect me. So she came in and she found, you know, she found a bunch of stuff. There's dust here. And the, and I'm like, man, I'm just not good at this. And she went to the bathroom and she said, did you clean the bathtub? And I said, well, it's, it's clean. She said, yeah, but did you clean it? And I said, well, no, I didn't clean it, but it's clean. What's the, what's, what's the difference? And I said, first of all, how do you know I didn't clean it? She said, well, it's not wet. She goes, at least sprinkle water in it. So we we think you cleaned it. 
she said, that's what my kids do. You know, with your toothbrush, you'd run it under the water <laughs> if your parents are checking. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, tell me more about that. I said, it's a clean bathtub. She goes, well, you know what? You know what the best way to keep a bathtub clean is? You clean it every day. You clean it even when it looks clean. And that's how you keep it that way. As soon as you start seeing mold form, it's too late. It's dirty. And so you clean it. And so it's this idea of, uh, I know Stephen Covey talked about in his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, sharpening the saw. You're always proactive. You're trying to improve things before they become a problem. And that's how she thought about cleaning her rooms. And so what I learned from Blanca was not only, you know, really having pride and professionalism, but what I learned later was when I'd come out every week and walk rooms, you know, walking rooms at a hotel is important. If you don't have clean rooms, you know, you're done and it doesn't matter what else you do. People want cleanliness. I found that a lot of the housekeepers on the, on the balconies were like, hey, Dan, come up, look at my rooms. They were so proud and they were so confident of how clean and well done their rooms were. They wanted me to go up and see those. So I'd go see them. But after a while, I started learning, go look at the rooms of the people who were not asking you to come look at them. <laughs> those are the ones you want to keep your eye on. But um, it's incredible. It's an incredible, fulfilling job. And, and I looked at those housekeepers. I knew they went home every night going, I did a good job today. I, I clean rooms for these families that are going to come stay in my rooms. And they talked about it that way. These are my rooms. And it was just, you know, having been for Disney so long, it was just such an eye opener about how much pride people take and ownership they take if you allow them to. I think that is so key. I love that ending statement is that when you can have your employees take ownership, that's when they feel a personal responsibility to make sure that everything's great because this is their rooms and these are their guests uh, and they want to make sure that they're welcomed and comfortable in their stay. I just think that's amazing. All right, Dan, as we get towards the end, I've got two last questions for you. So first, what is your favorite Disney experience? Boy, that's an impossible question because I mean, I had so many different moments and experiences along the way. I guess there was a, one was memorable. It was um, New Year's Eve 1999 and I was the duty manager at Epcot. The duty manager is sort of in charge of the park at for certain times. If there's an emergency or something happens, the duty manager is sort of the coordinator for the park. And um, I remember it was 1999. It was like 1155. And I'm thinking, and this was the Y2K. So everyone's like at midnight, the whole world's going to shut off. All the power is going to go off. And I remember sitting there and I was on the phone with my wife. She was at home and we did the countdown. And when it struck midnight, I turned around and looked at Spaceship Earth, you know, the big icon, and the lights were still on. I told my wife, I said, the lights are on. This is good. We don't have to evacuate the park with no power because no one had a clue. So that was a kind of a fun moment. And then, um, you know, the rest of those, I just, I just had, I, like I said, I've just had so many different moments. I, I spent a week, I was at Disneyland Paris. I was a frontline manager in guest relations. And I, I was assigned to be the uh, sort of the, the guide, the VIP guide for Buzz Aldrin and his family. And you know, the, it was the 25th anniversary of the moon landing. And he was the second man on the moon after Neil Armstrong. And we were opening Space Mountain at Disneyland Paris. So he came to kind of celebrate and be the guest star and do speeches. And they said, Dan, you'll be with him and his family for the week. And you just got to make sure they get to all their places on time and just take care of them. So I got to spend time with, you know, a lot of time with Buzz Aldrin and his family and just meet this guy who was a second man on the moon. That just blew my mind. And then I think the other big thing that I remember really well is, you know, it comes back Disneyland Paris again. I was a really new man. I'd only been with the company, gosh, what, three months. Well, no, by this time it was nine months because I'd worked in Florida. But I remember on April 12th, 1992, I was out there in the parking lot where we opened the gates and the first cars drove through to come into the first Disney theme park in Europe for the first time ever. And I was standing there when now that happened and it was really neat. And you, know, you look back now, that's a long time ago. Uh, they're coming up on their 30th anniversary in 2022. And that just seemed like it just opened yesterday. So um, lots of experiences, lots of uh, laughs, tears, um, meeting just incredibly talented, passionate people. And I could probably do a whole podcast on all the, the cool people I met and all the people I learned from. So. Oh, I'm sure. I absolutely love that. I'm going to squeeze one more question in there. If you were a guest, what is your favorite guest experience? What is your favorite thing that Disney does and they just do it really well and you think it's the coolest thing? Maybe something that the average listener might not know if they're not a huge Disney fan. Yeah. One of my, I think one of my favorite experiences when I was a general manager at the uh, Fort Wilderness campground, we had every night we would have the Chip and Dale uh, sing-along and movie. 
So it was an outside area at the campground. We had a, a big screen outside. It kind of felt like a drive-in. And we had some bleachers you could sit on or people would bring blankets or chairs and sit on the ground. And we had little campfires and you could buy all your s'more stuff, your graham crackers and your marshmallows and your Hershey bar and the little stick. And everyone, you know, traditionally the girls would roast their marshmallow and do it normally. And the, the boys would light their marshmallow on fire and become warriors with their marshmallows and they'd get in trouble. <laughs> but, uh, and Chippendale would do a quick sing along and then we'd play a Disney movie. And it was like, for me, that was like timeless. It's that time with your family where you're all sitting there just enjoying time together, watching these movies together, which kind of harkens back. Um, so I think that's a really cool thing to do. You can get in over there and, and, and see, check that out. Awesome. Is this something that still goes on today? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Last but not least, if you were to talk to a business owner and have five minutes with them or two minutes with them, what would be your number one or number one and number two suggestions for how to create a five-star experience regardless of what their business is? Valerie, my wife and I always talk about the fact that there's concepts in life that are simple but not easy. And I think that's one of these things here is, and we used to talk about this at Disney, keep the main thing, the main thing. So at the end of the day, if as, as a leader, as an owner, you create the right culture, the right environment for your people. Uh, you hold them highly accountable. You support them. You celebrate with them. You give them the tools they need to do their job. You respect them. You listen to them. You treat them as peers. You will maximize their ability to deliver over-the-top experiences for your customers. And if the customers get over-top experiences, their intent to recommend your business and intent to come back goes up dramatically and you grow your business. It's as simple as that. And I think that the big thing it's important to keep in mind is we at Disney, we rate everything on a five-point scale. It goes from poor to just okay, to good, to very good, to excellent. And basically the way we think about it at Disney is you take poor, just okay, good, and very good, and you put them in their own box and you put them on the side. All we care about is excellent. Because in our, in, in our business, very good is the same as poor. It just means it's not excellent. And that when you deliver an excellent experience, people's possibility of coming back to you again and telling other people about your business goes up dramatically. So don't settle for very good. You got to reach for excellent all the time. And a lot of people think that very good is, is good enough. And they settle for that. They don't understand why their business isn't thriving. And it's because it's that little extra effort that puts them in the excellent category that differentiates them from all the other competition. And just that little effort, that little push makes all the difference in the world. So just go be excellent every day. Don't settle for very good and don't just uh, satisfy your customers. You know, you have to, you know, compel them and just create magic for them. And if you do that, your business will, like I said, it will thrive. There's that's just, it's, it's worked for hundreds of years. It'll keep working in the future. Absolutely. That is phenomenal advice. I really appreciate that, Dan. There's a great book that I've been reading called The Power of Moments. In there, they talk about a study. They took some of the biggest companies in the world. I think Apple and Disney were included along with maybe HP. Anyway, it was five or six really big Fortune 500 companies. And they did some tests and they looked at when customers rated their experience from zero to 10. They took those ratings and they also looked at over the past two to three years, what did those companies spend their money on? So most of these companies, they would take the ratings that they got in like the one, two, and three, and they tried to get them to five, six, seven. That was their goal was how do we take the worst experiences and make them not so bad so we don't have these low reviews. But what Disney did is they took the five, six, sevens and said, how do we make them eight, nines, and tens? And so they took their money instead of allocating it to the few really low reviews. How do we take these middle reviews and turn them into excellent? And what they found is dollar for dollar, they got a 90% higher return on their money by taking average and turning it into excellent. Yep. Or very, you know, average to very good and turning it excellent instead of focusing on the people that just weren't happy because maybe they're not your target customer. So I love what you said. And I think that based on that study, there's a ton of data behind. If you can get people to really think you're excellent, that's where you're going to get the most bang for your dollars. Absolutely. All right. So I know you left Disney in May 2018 and you know, you've been doing some things on your own. I want to go ahead and give you a couple of minutes to talk about what you're doing now. Not only did I work for Disney for a long time, but uh, my wife, Valerie, worked there for 15 years and worked in retail and was a facilitator at the Disney Institute her last six years. We've been married for 27 years, and now we're learning how to work together. That's been quite a journey. 
but we're starting to respect each other professionally now. So we're working closely together. Our website, cockerelconsulting.com, shows everything we're doing. We do workshops for businesses on how to improve, create culture, improve their business. I do keynote speeches. We've created a college course, undergrad college course that we're working with for universities uh, teaching students with case studies around leading yourself, leading your team, and leading your organization. And actually, Christine, when we talked last week, we were preparing for this podcast. We chatted, and I, you know, I'd asked you about mastermind groups and these online communities because that's what we're looking at doing. And so I've been working on that this week, and happy to say that probably within the next four weeks, I'm going to be launching a community called the Perch. You know, our logo is a rooster which uh, has a lot of meanings to it. It's a rooster. In French, it's a cockerel. It's also the uh, emblem of the French rugby team. Someone said, you know, well, if you're going to do a community, you should be the perch. It's where you perch and hang out with the other birds and talk about things. So we're going to launch something. So we're going to be doing a two-hour monthly Q&A webinar for members. And anyone who joins that is going to have free access to our paid webinars. We're going to have an online community where people can connect and really bring their their personal and business issues to the forefront. And I think as a community, we'll help each other. So thank you for the advice. A lot of the tips you gave me really kind of got me centered on what I want to create here. And we're going to start it from there and see where it goes. Well, I'm so excited to see what happens with it. I know that this is going to be excellent. So those of you that are listening, definitely pick up his book. I would say start there because it just came out in August. It's called How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? You can buy it on Amazon. Dan, is there a way to buy it directly from you? Uh, yeah, you can go to culture-kingdom.com or go to cockerelconsulting.com and click on the link or Amazon or your local bookstore. They're all available there too. Perfect. And this is excellent. It is split up into three sections, leading yourself, leading your team, and then leading your organization. And I'm telling you, it is a great read. There were tons of things that I picked up and I said, oh my gosh, when we reopen, I'm going to be formulating the way that I lead my business differently. And I am sure that with all of Dan's experience, that his community program, mastermind program is going to be awesome. So I'll be sure to link all of these things in the show notes so that you can find all of the ways to connect with Dan. Very good. Well, I appreciate the time, Christine. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a pleasure having you. And I hope that we can stay in touch and hear about how your, how your community goes once it launches. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh my gosh, guys. How amazing was Dan Cockerell? I have to tell you that I left this interview so incredibly inspired. In fact, I think that these key takeaways that I'm about to go through with you is enough to build a phenomenal business and rise to the very top of your industry. Here are the takeaways from today's episode. Number one, have a guest-centric approach. Continuously look at the experience you provide from the guest point of view. Number two, be empathetic. Put yourself in your customer's shoes so that you can see how easy or hard your experience is for your customers. Look at your guest's needs and give them what they need before they even have to ask for it. Number three, Creating great customer experiences has nothing to do with resources or money. It's about the standards you put into place and executing on these high standards every single day. Number four, anyone can create a memorable moment. Make your experience over the top so that it is unarguably the best. Make people want to participate and be there. What people are looking for is exceptional experiences. Number five, Give your employees a framework around their position or role, but give them the latitude to create their own memorable moments for your customers. Number six, train purpose first. Train all new employees on the purpose of your business before anything else. Every employee should have the same purpose, which creates alignment and camaraderie in your organization. Number seven, when you're making big business decisions, make sure that you are looking at how it impacts everyone that is impacted from your customers to your employees to your bottom line. If you weight each category based on importance, your solution will become clear. Number eight, you don't have to do everything at a world-class level. Find out which things your customers care about most and over-deliver on those items. Figure out what moves the needle and consistently focus on and improve those things. Number nine, take away your customers' pain points. Additionally, can you do this in a way that gives your company even greater wins? Number 10, when you're implementing something new, don't assume that it will be executed perfectly in the beginning. Always have an immediate recovery plan for when you fall short. 
Number 11, the number one way to deliver great service regularly at a high energy level is to hire the right people. 20% of your employees are likely creating 80% of your exceptional experiences. Number 12, open up the possibilities for your employees. Lead brainstorming sessions with them to come up with fun ways to both reduce the monotony of their job and also enhance your customer's experience. Number 13, get outside of your own thinking. Give your companies a half day to come up with 10 fun things that you can implement together in your business to differentiate yourself from your competitors. Group up and discuss over a meal. Make it special for your employees. Number 14, don't discount secondary magical moments. Number 15, value your employees. Find ways to recognize those that are going above and beyond in a way that uplifts them and gives an example of what outstanding looks like to the rest of your team. Number 16, always be proactive. Work to continuously improve even the good things in your business to ensure that they don't ever become a problem. Number 17, inspire your employees to take ownership over their role. Number 18, keep the main thing the main thing. As a leader, if you create the right environment for your people, you will maximize their ability to deliver over-the-top experiences for your customers. Number 19, go be excellent every day. Don't settle for good or very good. All you should care about is excellent. Well, guys, that's today's show. I hope that you got a lot of value out of this episode. I know that I did. And I'm looking forward to sharing more with you next week. In the meantime, go be amazing.